In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. the true life podcast we're here on sunday we uh got a few different people in the house over here we've got all the usual suspects i think i'll start over here with ben to introduce himself and then i'll just move around the horn ben can you introduce yourself for some people who may not know who you might be i'm benjamin c george uh benjamincgeorge.com author of no absolutes uh working on a tale libre project and excited for another sunday chat Paul, what do you got going on over there, buddy? Not a whole heck of a lot there, George. <laughs> I'd expect nothing less. Either, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I gotta craft myself a real introduction. <laughs> that might be it right there, man. You know, you could just have the one-line tag. Yeah, Ronga. Oh, Ronga, what's up, buddy? What is the word on the street from where you're at? What's going on over there? Who are you? What do you got? Can you hear me? Like a like a whistle, perfect. Uh, so I'm. I found out what I need to say is the part. What I'm currently doing is exploring altered states of consciousness. So how my reality is changing, and uh, it's very curious on trying to understand that part. Our interaction with the environment, rather than take it for as it is, or how we see it, right? Yeah. Absolutely, man. I, I think it's, I think more people should try to explore their different kinds of consciousness and figure out where they fit in and where they like to be. And the more you explore your own conscious, the more you can be comfortable with it and be comfortable around other people, I think. Definitely. Nice. Well, gentlemen, I was curious. I was trying to think of maybe some interesting topics that we could go by today. And one I came up on is I was rereading some of the Unabomber's manifesto. <laughs> and I realized how much I agree with him on so much. And I'm just curious 
what your guys take is. I want to I want to read to you this first part right here and, get, and see what you guys think. Only the collapse of modern technological civilization can avert disaster. What do you think about that, Ben? I would have to disagree as the first thought that rolls into my head. I mean, Why? how far? Well, how far back do you take modern technical civilization? Is it the industrial revolution? Is it the invention of the plow? Is it the you know where do you where do you draw that line for one? But for two, I I don't think it's the entire you know you don't you don't throw away everything if you have some good stuff and some bad stuff. I think there's certainly uh, you know there's certainly a picture to look at where. Yeah, you could say that if we just went back to everybody kind of farming their own land and living, you know, uh, a very kind of, you know, uh, family oriented, community oriented lifestyle, then, you know, it would be better for everybody, better for the planet, better for, you know, for lower, you know, in socioeconomic people and all of these other things. But the reality is, is that we need those we need those supply chains. We need those trade routes. We need those resources. We need those things in order for us to continue to kind of evolve as a, as a people. Now, that's not to say that we should be full blown into just kind of destroying everything to get what we want. There has to be balance, just like there has to be balance in all things. But I just off the top of my head, I, I would disagree with that kind of vehemently. <laughs> Well, I, I, I think you made some really good points and it speaks volumes of your intelligence, but let me tell you why you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> Let's see. Here we go. So I think that I can't totally disagree with you. I think that when we look at the plow, maybe we should start, maybe we should have a starting point where technology has gone or began to go in the wrong direction. And maybe we should define what disaster is on the topic of disaster. I mean, it, it, it seems to me that technology is at the very foundation of all our wars. It seems to me that the technological progress is the carrot that everybody is chasing that makes everyone else want to stab everyone in the back. And you could almost say it's a manifestation of greed or a, or a heightened sense of, you know, just this heightened sense of wanting or it's almost like a lust you know, it's tapping into this idea of lust. And I, I don't see, you know, if you look at the, if, if we can agree that the world history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And then we can also agree that the last few world wars have been ended by more dangerous weapons. Then we must also agree that there'll be another war with even a more dangerous weapon. Wouldn't that back up the point that the modern technology is is going to cause the next disaster? I mean, certainly, you know, for, when you take it in that context, I would agree with you. Um, there's other aspects to that too, though, is, okay. is we're not operating at, as one global entity, for one. Um, so, you know, that's where kind of, you know, the idea of resources, supply chains, trade, and all of this kind of lends itself to us not shooting each other and so if you remove that technological pro pro uh, progress you remove all of those supply chains and remove all of that 
kind of imperative for people not to shoot each other because we do want the silk from Egypt, we or the cotton from Egypt. We want the, you know, we want the resources, we want the rare earth elements to make magnets so we can travel. And we do want these things because if we don't, now all of a sudden, yeah, we could decide that we're just going to go, you know, we're going to be Luddites. Mm. But then the other people on the planet might decide something entirely different. And then our way of life becomes very much in jeopardy very fast. I agree. Ranga, as a white Christian nationalist, what do you think? <laughs> George is firing today, folks. I've been drinking a little bit. I've been drinking a little bit. Nice. I have a question for you. What's the Unibomber uh, manifesto? I do not. So, I don't okay. know what's. It's a good question. I should have started with that. Uh, I believe it was in the was it the nineties in the 90s there was a um an individual named Theodore Kaczynski, and he was actually went to Harvard as a mathematician. I think he went there like at the age of 14, he started. I also think that he was in the the uh the MK Ultra and also the wasn't there like a, a Harvard LSD program where they they tested well, that, LSD? Was that the that was the MK Ultra program. That was the MK Ultra, yeah. It was related to that. Yeah. It was related to that. And so he grad here's this mathematician with all this promise, probably had an IQ over 200, just a just one of these guys that was so smart they were they, they were weird, right? And so he he moves out. I'm sorry, Joey. Go ahead, Paul. You sound like this dust cover. <laughs> I've read it a lot of times. <laughs> and so um he moves out after after his MK Ultra and after going to Harvard and probably a lot of indoctrination and being around a lot of people, he get this he has this idea in his head that hey, we as a species are going the wrong path. We are doing things wrong. We're going to explode. And the reason is is this idea of technology. And this technology splits people and he's like, you can look in the past and draw parallels to it. And so he took it upon himself to try to bring down technology from a one-man band. He moved out into the woods, built a little shack, and started sending envelopes full of explosive powder to senators. And I think he got through to a couple of them, and then he was turned in by his brother, who was probably really jealous of him because he wasn't as smart as him. And then he got turned in and, and went to prison. So, Jeez. yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. And then he wrote he wrote from prison the Unabomber Manifesto. Oh. And, um, and in that yeah. book, he wrote down all the things that he thought about technology, all the, all his ideas about mathematical functions and how they fit into the world and why his ideas are right and stuff like that. I'll send you a copy. I, I have a, a copy. I'll send it to you. I, I love the backstory. And what was your question following that? Uh, my question was, what do you see the future of technology as being something that's ultimately going to destroy us? I don't think so. Well, why not? In a, in a way, I think um, lots of the creation of AI is from our projection, like internal projection of how we want things. So in some way, they, are, they would still be limited until they become super intelligent. And even at that point, it would come to a you know significant difference in, let's say, emotional intelligence right i think they wouldn't want to destroy 
but aren't they programmed? Isn't isn't the all the computers we have are programmed by people? And if you look at the highest level, what like what are we? We're programming drones to run in packs to kill people. We're programming ro spot the robot dog to put a big cannon on his back and just go kill people. And when you do that, like you can see the same pattern in big corporations, how they give their employees a number so they can dehumanize them. And we know that dehumanization is the first thing you do to your enemy. So if computers are already dehumanizing us, aren't we in fact becoming the enemy to them? Uh uh, but I feel like those examples are a smaller percentage of their actual applications and implications in this world. So yeah, it's it's having a balance, right? They they can be it's it's a tool. Everything around us is a tool, and it's up to how we use it. And uh, more people are, as you said, driven by greed and the lust for power, and more, both of it is related to money. So all the right. economical events that happen right uh, are driven by these people so for that if they get ai as the new tool of course they're gonna use it but it's on the positive side we are using it to uh, yeah in a lot of areas well in, in another perspective too is we wouldn't be having this conversation without technology that's a good point we're, we're so separated by you know thousands of miles collectively uh, that we wouldn't be able to have this meeting of the minds, which I 100%. find personally important. Um, so, you know, I think the absolute statement that technology will destroy us, <laughs> I have to disagree with. And I don't Damn think it. I'm wrong. <laughs> but so, so, the, so people, this communication that we have is amazing, but don't the people that own the platform have the ultimate authority just to censor us? Like we could just be, Clearly, we're talking to four of us right now, which is better than me talking to myself or anybody else talking to themselves. But, you know, ultimately, if we look at what happened during the elections, we saw, you know, whether it's Hunter Biden's laptop being squashed or it's, you know, pick your pick your censorship and pick your political party. But it seems like that is the foundation for or it, they have the skeleton key to shut everything off. It, in one in one sense, yeah, but uh, in order to really shut off communication, they would truly have to shut off the internet. I right. mean, if we really wanted to communicate now, being able to broadcast, that's a very different story, but I could set up an, an entirely private web portal for all of us to do this on my own server. Now, if they shut off my internet connection, I got a problem. So the mm -hmm. only way, if you if you continue to extrapolate, you know, uh, well, then what would I do next? Well, right. now I'm going to go to my friend's house or now I'm going to go to an Internet cafe. Now we're going to meet on IRC. You know, there's all these protocols on the Internet that because the Internet was built on communication. So in order to really shut down that communication, they would have to truly shut down the Internet or, you know, you have to, in essence, build something like the Great China Firewall for every single individual nation, which you know people are talking about so there is you know it, it's a multifaceted thing i don't think that we can you know we wouldn't we wouldn't have this conversation we wouldn't have this progress we wouldn't be able to have this society we wouldn't be able to you know have the comfort for our kids i mean imagine back in the day when it was expected that at least half your kids were going to be dead by the age of nine right and that's why you know, one of the reasons that contributed to people having so many kids, you know, our advancements in technology allowed us to move away from that. Now, that's not to say that 
our moves have been the best moves that we could make. And I think, you know, hindsight's obviously 2020. Um, and so that leads us to today. But I, I, at the overall premise of, of is technology going to destroy us? I don't think so. I think technology is almost an innate human. Uh, I don't know how to, I want to finish that. Uh, an innate human kind of expedition, exploration. You know, we're always trying, you know, we're built, our brains are pattern recognition machines, pattern recognition machines. We're built to recognize patterns and decode those patterns. That inevitably leads to the advancements of tools and technology. Do you see, do you think that maybe, what if we flipped it and said that technology is the great equalizer? It could be. It could be either, you think. It, 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 you know, I would call that a double-edged sword, right? And right. Obviously, you cited the, the war part of it. Uh, and But at the same time, we, we do have those other aspects to it as well. Uh, I think it's it, it comes down to us and how we decide to utilize this technology. You know, for instance, us having these conversations as opposed to going out there and uh, having some propaganda campaign and, and you know, hoorah, siskumba, whatever side and, of the fence I want to find myself on. Nice. Paul, we were pretty quiet over there. What do you think, buddy? I don't know. What are we talking about? Unibomber? <laughs> the Unibomber, um, technology. How much? And are these, is technology a force for the world that is doing more good than harm? I don't know. You know, I was thinking about your quote from the Unibomber. Okay. Um, you know, sounds like something that somebody would say who builds bombs puts them in the mail in order to blow people up um but as far as you know what's technology doing for us you know i mean there's always been divides in people there's been always technology that's done it you know or the advancements in civilization you know it's it's always been about like to me it's always been about like self-protection um whether it's your you know your family or the tribe that you belong to and being apprehensive and cautious about you know foreigners and things that don't you know talk like you look like you behave like you and so you know that's that's kind of like to me the you know the original form of you know get the fuck out of here really and then we've used technologies in order to protect ourselves you know better yeah oh and then as other societies advance then we've had to make advancements too and when i say we i mean the collective speaking about like any sort of like you know, living in the United States to spend the history of people, mm -hmm. you know, will it ultimately lead to our demise? I mean, I don't know, but it sounds pretty pessimistic. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it makes me, maybe it's, it seems to me that the long-term consequences for society are not subject to human control. You know, like the, the cat's out of the bag when it comes to nuclear weapons. And that's what I mean when I, when I, when I talk about the, and I think that's what the Unabomber was trying to get across when he talked about technology is going to be the downfall. This idea that, you know, both, both sides of the aisle, whether it's, you know, Sunni or Shia Republican or Democrat, you know, they, when they seize the power of the state, be it the IRS or the military industrial complex, they wield it as a weapon in their favor. And then the next time somebody else gets in power, then they wield it the other way. 
But how long can you wield that weapon before you do real damage to the other side? Well, irreparable harm, right? Thank you. Well put. Yeah. Uh, and I think from, you know, we, we do stand at that precipice. And, you know, I think a lot of the quotes from the people who worked on the Manhattan Project kind of, mm. they realized what they had done too. Like, right. They understood that, you know, the amount of power contained by one or, you know, to one nation at that point, but, you know, it could even get very much smaller. And we're seeing that these days where if there is a threat of people acquiring old nuclear weapons from, you know, fallen Soviet states and whatnot. And so there is, you know, a precipice when it comes to how we wage war. And I think, but there also is a, another side of that equation, which is what I was referencing earlier, is that, you know, we have come to grow into a global society despite that. Right. Now, we're also, that's also fracturing at the seams right now. Uh, so, you know, that's not necessarily a, a great argument per se. But I think within that chaos, I think we move on to the next iteration of this human experiment. Well, you know, I mean, going back to what you said, you know, like we're standing at a precipice. I was just Churchill, you know, that one time standing there as the Nazis were taking over Europe that said the same thing. We're standing at a precipice. Mm -hmm. you know, it's always been like imminent doom. But here we are, you know, almost still persisting. Mm -hmm. World War II, we're still here. Mm -hmm. You know, technology is advanced. Weaponry is advanced. Delivery you know, systems. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, like, I mean, ultimately, will something be invented that will make everything else obsolete and put all wars to end? I don't know. That's a possibility. You know, that would be a level of technology that would, you know, that could possibly save you if we think that humanity is, 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 you know, ahead of 100 miles an hour at a brick wall. I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't like to think that. Um, I had a hypothesis a long time ago that if we could harness, uh, you know, basically free energy for lack of a better term, but uh, some sort of highly renewable energy source that wasn't, you know, an environmental detriment that didn't require a massive influx of resources harvested out of the earth. And then that power was distributed freely to people. I, no, think, you, huh? I think they're working on that in France, right? Well, a lot of people have been working on it for a long time. I mean, you know, fusion's always been the promise. It's always been 20 years down the line, but that's been happening since 1950. Yeah, but they recently were able to sustain fusion for like five or 10 seconds or something like that just several months ago. Right, but they're still not to the point where they get an overunity, which is where they're producing more power than what they put into the system. No. And that's what you would kind of need for that. Yeah. Why, why, would, why would they even let people have that, though? But they feel that it's because of the facility that that's not happening. So they're constructing a facility in and, front right now. I don't think it's going to be completed for several more years. But right, and that's been that, if if you look at the progression of fusion, that was that's been the exact same uh, story told since the fifties. Is oh, we need a bigger machine with a, so we can generate a, a greater magnetic field. Oh, we need a bigger machine for a bigger magnetic field. We also need to figure out better containment strategies. So we need a bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, yeah that it's the it's like it's going like bigger 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 right now i think it has to do with the quality of the machine and i think that's what they're working on it um, typically a lot of them are magnetic field containers. yeah for sure that's what it takes and you know and and stuff that's going to be able to contain that much heat 
but to have a to have fusion like actually on its own reacting for five seconds i mean i know we've been working on this for a long time the russians have been working on this for a long time mm -hmm. but to have that five second sustained fusion was a giant leap compared oh, yeah. to every step that we've taken yeah and they've actually I, there, it's multiple giant leaps over the past year actually uh, yeah there's been a whole bunch of things with you know ignition and then also the yep. ma maintaining of the field um and then faster uh, switching when it comes to how these magnetic fields need to respond in, into the inconsistencies and the chaos of that of that plasma uh, yeah. yeah. So no, they've definitely been making strides. But I, you know, I think if you if we get that far, even if we get past that point where you have all the unity, you still have the hurdle. We still have to give it away for free in order to kind of foment some sort of change. If we just go to the same system that hey, you have to pay ten cents per kilowatt hour or a buck per kilowatt hour in Europe these days, or you know whatever sort of monetary mechanism they attach to it. We we just run ourselves into the same problem. Yeah, but without all the the without all the all the environmental destruction. Yeah, I mean you know, right. sure you know charging a dollar a kilowatt hour that'd be crazy, but it's a lot cleaner than you know everything else that we're trying to do right now or actually that we are doing right now. Do you that's think great. that maybe that's what maybe that's what's happening now? Like, if you look at how long people have been trying to get rid of fossil fuel fuels, doesn't it kind of seem like right now? The, the establishment is just trying to jam it through. Like, okay, we're going to force everyone to buy electric. Like, you're not going to buy – you can't buy fossil fuel cars anymore. Like, they're, they're going out of their way to force fossil fuels out. And if you were part of the fossil fuel community, you would be entrenched. You'd fight it the whole way, right? Like, that's your bread and butter. Doesn't it kind of seem like that's exactly what's happening now? Well, it's what they've been doing for a long time, right? It's like fighting – you know, photovoltaic systems on people's homes, you know, and, um, you know, like self-generated wind power and all the rest of that stuff, because they got to wait for the powers that be that have been in denial of, of, of these energy sources is actually being legit, you know, give them a chance to get caught up in the game. And then once they're caught up, you know, so that they can sustain their wealth, then, you know, then all of a sudden you'll start to see rapid changes and development of, of these systems. Well, you can't, you know, that's the problem that I see with like, you know, especially like here in Hawaii, you know, um, the, you know, Hawaiian Electric Company went through, you know, a great amount of fuss to slow down, you know, um, especially like photovoltaic here in, in, in the state until they were able to get caught up in the game. Because what they saw was, you know, them losing massive amounts of revenue um being the dinosaur in the room and you know and, and these people have to be able to maintain their wealth so they use their money and political power to do so you know and that's so now that they're in the game and big corporations especially you know companies that are that are producing electricity and you know energy around the globe you know when the old money finally gets caught up so that they can secure their wealth and we'll start seeing huge technological gains we'll start seeing big changes and i think that's what that's what you're seeing now Hmm. Yeah, I wonder I wonder when technology becomes good enough where you don't where you can where a David can beat a Goliath. You know, where you know, is that what Tesla is is Tesla the David and they're up against all the Goliaths? Or is there a way like ha have you guys ever heard of the Bloom Box? The Bloom yeah. Box, okay, the Bloom Box is like it's a startup, or it was a startup like 10 years ago out of yeah. San Francisco. 
And this guy was a was a ex NASA scientist, and he's created some sort of box with like sand and glass that stores energy, and then you just mm-hmm. feed your whole. You could feed. I know what. There's a FedEx. There's a giant FedEx place running on it. There's all these, and they're a private company, so you can buy your bloom box, run your house on it, run your company on it, like a Fortune 500 company runs on it. Like, yeah, didn't like Google wasn't Google like running part of their facility on it? They were, they were. So that like the technology's there. Like it's just like so that's what I mean. Like we have probably the ability to get to give everyone. Like we could give everyone free power. But that yeah, would cause sure. society to fail in the long run because it would ruin the structure of society. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a bold statement. <laughs> How could it not? Sure. Like if, if everybody mean, didn't so- have to get up and go to work every day, would they go? Like the only reason I go to work is because they give me money. And so if I had power here, debt. if you don't go to work, you're in debt. You're right. But if you no, had you power, go to work, you're in debt. That's why we live in a debted society. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't live in a credited society. We live in a debted society because debt motivates people to be productive. Right, and free power would go a long way to get rid of that, right? I don't know if free power would. I mean, you know, I well, think, I think free it would get rid of your electric would. bill. It would get rid well, of your gas bill if you had an electric car. It yeah, would get but rid of think your... about all the things you could do with your family just by getting up and going to work. That's motivation too. I don't you know. know. I, I, I disagree. You have the $300 that you were spending on electricity. George, what would you do? $300 a month. Well, I don't know what your electric bill. Mine's like 300 bucks a month. Okay. Like, so what would you do with that $300? I mean, it's 300 bucks. It's not that you're much money. I see going what you're to work. You're going to stop going to work. Maybe I, no. maybe I could work a day less for 300 maybe you could bucks. Work a day less. I don't know. Maybe you could pay for medical insurance or something, you know, I don't know. I think you know, I could still get the same. I think I could still get all my benefits and work one day less with an extra three hundred bucks. Okay, but then well, and then that well, day I that could day. spend with my family. I would I would go. go to the beach or like, I don't know, maybe go work in my yard or hang out with my daughter. My the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> That's I would probably eat some mushrooms, right? Why not? <laughs> three hundred bucks and a bag that would buy you like a like a couple ounces maybe maybe an ounce and a half depending on where you got it yeah well what i'm saying <laughs> it's like it's not a lot right but it's, it's not a lot you're right it's meaningful it's meaningful the electric companies right because they'd be shitting you know like all of a sudden there's a lot of people looking for jobs but i think a lot of those people would go and work for the companies that were producing this new free energy you know manufacturing developing better technologies like just because you shut down some system doesn't mean that other systems aren't born of that shutdown. You know, it's, it's, it's like this whole thing about deregulation, you know, it's like, oh, deregulation is like, you know, strangling corporations across America. Well, deregulation also provides jobs for people, you know? So maybe, let me go back, maybe back, go back a little. I think that that was the wrong question. Like it would influence me if I could take one day off that it wouldn't have a whole lot of effect on the system. But what about 300 million people taking a day off? Like that would have a huge effect on the system. So if I, if giving me free powers stops me from working one day, what about 300 million people not working one day? I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. What about, you know, you got consumerism running rampant right now. That's true. You just gave those people an extra consumerism. So now you just gave those people an extra day and $300 to go blow some cash. Perfect. I, I think maybe we should take it up. Generates jobs there in and of itself, right? There's extra tourism. There's extra, you know, there's they're serving. There's hospitality. There's all of those jobs that would arise with the extra 
free time and money for people to enjoy it. I think that's yeah. where the redirection needs to be done, right? Uh, if people are, enough people are laid off from this uh, energy services, right? If it everything becomes with less man force, and these people get laid off, so instead of building up tourism and stuff, keeping that on limit and making them towards the educational side would be the redirection that would shape the way we are going. More people educated, and then days off would be meaningful. right and uh, getting extra 300 dollars would not be just blown off on uh, just a capitalistic <laughs> mission that they have given you to fulfill in this life right uh, it goes it, it's just it's going to change a lot of things based on how we see as a collective uh, conscious force right and i think you know it's important to point out you could do one of these things but because the system is the way it is because you still have you know even if you took away the for profit energy sector you still have a for profit health sector a for profit media sector mm. a for for profit all all these kind of pillars of what we deem our modern society are all profit driven which means they're not individually motivated to you know help yeah. their end user their consumer what have you they're they're there for the shareholder and create a bonus as at the end of the year but i think it starts one at a time i don't that's- i i don't know if that's necessarily true i mean in theory I, you could say that it's the one domino that starts the the rally right but at the yeah. same time there's so many systems in play here and so many stop gaps So if I go off and pull two dominoes, 10 dominoes down your line and your domino falls, I can't hit the next one because hey, I own the ability for you to get a license in my city. <laughs> so, you know, when if 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 you don't have a, a holistic and comprehensive solution to this, I think that there's enough stopgaps that are already built into the world that kind of uh, you know, almost make these non-starters in a lot of instances. I was listening. You guys ever listen to um, Garifakis? He's the uh, ex-finance minister from Greece, mm-hmm. and um, he's 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 a pretty interesting guy. And he tells a story about you know when Greece had their default, and Europe was coming to them and saying, "Look, you cannot default on your debt, no matter how bad it is." And he so he tells a story about going to the meeting of all the financial ministers, and he came in under the party Syriza, who was like a far-right party. people were like saying all these things like ah oh, they're a bunch of nazis or they're this and so he said he already had all these strikes against him when he went into the financer meeting of Europe and he said before he could even get across his plan you know before he could even say to them look we must default on some of this the german finance minister came to him and said mr garifagas i only have one thing to say and then you can say whatever you want you can change any policy you want in your government but you have to pay us back every dime that you owe us. <laughs> He's like, well, "What's the point of even being here then?" He's mm-hmm. like, and so he came up with some interesting ideas that translate to the United States or even international parties. And what he said is that if you want to change the system, it can be done, but people and people can do it by kind of the same way like do you remember like the apes came in and they they blew up AMC and they they blew up all these they they, they forced Wall Street to stop Mm-hmm. So Garifakis says like look it's public records that that people can see what these families own they can see what these corporations own and if enough people got together and started shorting 
some of their positions. Like if you had big chunks, if you went on Reddit and started a group and you were able to see the companies that these family foundations have leveraged, you could short them and bankrupt them, you know, and you could do it. You could, and you could do it by saying, okay, everybody in the state of Arizona, no one pay your state Arizona electric bill and no one does. And then they go down. You go, okay, every, any, anybody that's in the state of California, no one pay PG&E. And, and we know it's scary. So we have set up this GoFundMe where we're going to pay your fees to get it back online. But we don't want anybody in California to pay their electric bill for two months. Like there's ways that people could go about it that could fundamentally throw a giant wrench in the system and force those people to come to the table. But the question is, would we ever be that united to do something like that? See, I think that gets in kind of the game theory of group dynamics. Right. Um, and I think when you have a loose affiliation like that, where it's just like, you know, the AMC one's a perfect one. Right. They were able to come together for the AMC one. But when they tried to branch out, it didn't work. They had their one, their flash in the pan, which was right. amazing to watch. Right. And it was wonderful to watch the whole thing. But, you know, when they tried to expand out, it didn't work. And a lot of people lost a lot of money because of it. Um, and so when you just have that loose affiliation, especially, you know, we already know that, you know, just doing this virtually doesn't really breed that bond that you get from hanging out with right. each other. So now you add that into the equation. And then you have the ability for bad actors to come in and influence the situation. And I think it, it, it could probably become pretty untenable pretty fast, especially when, you know, you have the threat of, yeah, you're not going to be able to feed your kids because all your food spoiled because your electricity mm. was off and they couldn't really, they couldn't get you a generator fast enough or something. You know, all these stories will manifest themselves. Uh, so, yeah, I think it becomes a very difficult thing when you have a loose group of affiliation like that. I think you need, and, and if you look at it historically at a broader scale, you know, that's why you need a document like a constitution mm. or you need something, you know, some sort of precedent like a Magna Carta. You know, you need something like that so people can at least say, hey, look, we're all on this same page. And, and that has to be not just, you know, something that people sign per se, like an online petition, but it has to be something that, you know, they really feel true and deep as part of their lives. And I think that's kind of why we, you know, that's kind of the evolution of uh, nation states as we've seen over, over the at least recorded history. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it blows my mind to think about just the different ways in which we could forecast humanity going and some of the problems and some of the solutions. Rongo, what do you think is one of the major issues worth working on from like a strategic or a philosophical level in the next five to 10 years? I think we had the same thing about uh, debates, right? It's most more honest communications, trying to get uh, things in a simpler way. Are we unnecessarily complicate stuff, and mm -hmm. if we individually complicate stuff, and it exponentially adds on at a state level or a national level, right? So if the more we tend to keep it simple and honest, it's it seems a very individual journey in that sense, but uh, it's like all politicians should be given a tab of acid, right? And uh, their priorities get reorganized. Right. So let's keep it simple because we're yeah. trying so hard to communicate. So that's what. And I think that will be a good thing on both sides. Right. 
if that builds trust not not the way right now people always um, have to hear something and assume the opposite meaning of it right 90% of the times that's the news that kind of goes out but rather we should be able, at a point where what we hear we can believe even at the media level right now how much can you say they they tested the new booster shot on eight uh mice yeah. eight mice yeah <laughs> not even 10 <laughs> so And, yeah yeah i was going to oh go ahead communication is key you know uh that's that to me that's like you know that's kind of been a really big part of the reason why we are where we are especially in america here is just like poor communication um the lack of education you know like those two things go hand in hand and the more that you know our educational these public ed- educational institutions are you know um become more in despair the 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 worse our society seems to become you know it's not always about just to like understanding um you know how to have better conversations because that takes you know takes some practice but more like identifying you know poor conversation well in in you touched on it but i think the education has is key in that factor and you know the most current stat that i'm aware of pretty sure is 2019 is 52% of the people in the united states have a 6th grade level education and there's 18% illiteracy rate now i you know i don't know the veracity of that but even if they're close to true uh, you know that 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 goes a, a long way in explaining why there are so many poor conversations occurring it it might be scary to like imagine if we imagine if we were if we were executives of state or we we held high positions in in whatever administration and we're sitting here and we're looking at the real numbers and the real numbers are are like ben said they're worse You know, like what if you're looking at a a rate of illiteracy that's, you know, 15 to 20%? What if you're See? looking at you know, what if you're looking at a group of people that have, you know, what what if 50% of the people have an eight, a ninth grade education? Like how do you how do you you know, maybe maybe it's maybe it's circus and bread. Maybe that is the answer. Well, it, it, I would I would I would push back on that and I would say okay. it would highly depend upon what our agenda is. What's uh, our goal? Ah, yes. If yeah, our maybe. goal, yeah, because look at how much money the in in just revenue the United States actually produces. Yeah. So look at how much of it is put towards projects that really don't benefit, you know, the unless it's trickle down. Right. Uh, you know, any anybody that's an average citizen. Uh I think you know if we were aligned and we had a good motivation and we had a good goal and we you know had transparency and authenticity with what we were doing and people were on board i think you can solve a lot of problems really fast because now now instead of you know 400 billion dollars for for bombs we have 400 billion dollars to remove our 20% illiteracy rate yeah well i, I wonder too, like if you if you did like all the statistics across america like by state literacy rate and and average education level you know i wonder if i wonder where 
United States would stand if you mm -hmm. removed the southern states from that equation? Well, I, I think if I remember the report correctly, it did break it down state by state. Um, and it was the southeast was much more dramatic in their numbers. Yeah, I mean, a place that devalues education and, you know, working hard to do so every day. I don't I don't know if that's accurate. I don't I don't think that the south goes out of their way to devalue education or make it worse, do they? I think if you look at just the the, the economic numbers of like mm. what a teacher gets paid, for instance, um, and you, you look at, um, you know, the amount of time that the kids actually show up to school, a lot of these other factors, because it, there's much more rural areas down there. They're much more, you know, uh, there's a lot of Bayou, for instance, and there's a lot of the Appalachian Mountains. And when you go, like I've been to Tennessee quite a few times, <laughs> and I know quite a quite a few Appalachian people. And I, it's a it, it's a harder accent to understand for me than going to like Trinidad and Tobago, which I spend some time in too, and that's a hard accent to understand. And so you know, there's a lot of uh, contributing factors to that as well, where I think you do get, uh, in in at least the statistics suggested as much is that you do get a higher proportion of those numbers in the southeastern region of those of the nation. Well, I think, you know, too, you're talking about a, an area that, you know, um, prioritizes religion over education. Hmm. There's you something know. to be said there, too. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and honestly, you're probably going to get some heat for this, but religion and education, you know, don't always go hand in hand. Why you know, are you going to get don't, the heat from? They don't, they don't play I, with each other. Well, yeah, I, you know, I think there's a lot to unpack there, right? But I think it's it's really interesting too. It's it's kind of recent in our history that education and religion have been separate. For the longest yeah. time, the religious institutions, the priesthoods, you know, things like that, they were the purveyors of of education, of literacy, of literacy, right? Even some of the best schools today are still religious. I mean, I don't know if they're the best schools. A lot of top expensive schools in the United States are still affiliated with religions, you know, like BYU or, uh, you know, the, the Notre Irish Dame. Notre Dame, mm -hmm. right? Trump, Trump, the Trump College. <laughs> <laughs> Trump University, Trump right? That is a good one. Yeah, um, that's a religion of one. What's that? The religion of one <laughs> now you voted for trump didn't you paul oh shit. <laughs> yeah george twice <laughs> all right i just i was sensing some trump derangement syndrome there i just if you wanted to talk about it you're amongst friends no i, I mean i you know i told you i, I voted for yosemite sam it's <laughs> a good vote it's a good vote so yeah before, oh go ahead. no no it's all good I was going to say before we get too far off what we were talking about, I I, I did want to write I, or I did want to read something I wrote for yeah. the Tara Levi project. Oh, this is kind of my new elevator pitch. So I want you guys' opinion. All right, <clears throat> our society faces problems at scale. We can solve these problems by an intentional effort to merge age-old practices, modern technology, and functional pieces of the pro of the various systems we use today into a new model a model for community and business while honoring the, the individual 
by focusing on individual wealth, health, and liberty. I like it. I, I would add in there something like that you have said to me prior, and that is we're not going to get through this particular world. We're not going to get through this particular model, or we're not going to get through this. We're not going to get through this by using the same methods in the past. Hmm. We're not, you, you end up fighting, you end up becoming the thing you hate. And if you fight someone, you, you like the revolution eats its own. But I think a good segue in there to what you said would be like, we need a model that incorporates all the good parts of what we've been using and gets rid of some of the bad parts. Because I think that that's what the Terra Libre does. I, I, mm -hmm. I think about it all the time. I think that you have to find a way to not participate in this old system. Otherwise, you give it the vitality it needs to continue on. But I, I think what you said is awesome. I would, I, I would add that well, in there because I, like I think it's a nice segue. Yeah, I like that a lot. Thanks. What'd you think, Paul? Um, you know, sometimes Ben's mic on my end's a little muddled. Oh, no, I'm not. Uh, so I was actually going to ask him to read it again. Yeah, can you read it again? Sure. Let's see. No, I was going to try to fit what you said in, George, but I'll just read it again. All right. Our society faces problems at scale. We can solve these problems by an intentional effort to merge age-old processes, modern technology, and the functional pieces of various systems we use today into a new model, a model for community and business that honors the individual by focusing on individual wealth, health, and liberty. Yeah, I mean, shit, I don't know. <laughs> yeah you know i mean it's it's you know so of course like combining stuff that works old practices that have that are tried and true you know along with uh you know new age technology you know or our i mean that's kind of what we're doing anyways right right now right i mean that's kind of the way of the world but um it's the way of, it is definitely is the way of the world i think from like an overarching perspective right and this is to kind of take what we observe in that natural evolution of the human system and put it into a functional model that is a, something that could be duplicatable and workable you know across regions can you give can you give us an example well, it's not built yet, but <laughs> what kind of example are you looking for? Yeah, yeah. So this is a project I've just been working on for. Well, I had the first, I had the idea about fifteen years ago, uh, and then you know it's been first. You know, first it was just kind of a fanciful. You know, like oh, you know, the Burning Man idea is pretty cool, but what if you put that into kind of like a functional community? It was kind of the idea. You can right. merge sustainability and technology, and you could do something awesome. Well, the reality of that situation is it's much more nuanced to recreate a community that could actually function on a larger scale, you know, in terms of the greater business world, the marketplace of ideas, just being able to, you know, sustain itself, let alone, you know, you don't want something that excises itself from society because you're going to miss out on all of the potential benefits of society. You want something that moves the needle just a little bit in one direction where you know now instead of having these crazy systems that are corrupt and bureaucracies and all these things you can have one person one vote. you can have a system that's very much 
regulated, not necessarily regulated, except by the people who vote on it, to enable individual wealth. You have a system that can provide an equal access to opportunity in the sense that you can, you know, you would be able to take the funds of this business and provide the, the basic necessities for a community. Um, you know, you do this by, you know, merging those age-old systems, sustainable agriculture, permaculture, things like this, and putting it combined with these, this technology, and then, you know, having this sort of intentional com community, but it's also a business. And all of the ability for somebody to sell their art, to sell their services, to sell their products, they, all of those barriers of entry that normally exist in the world, you can eliminate because you're the business providing the opportunity, essentially. And it's not some 1099 scam or anything like that. It's, it's, it's very much everybody's invested into the system. I wonder, is like, it seems like you could learn a lot from looking at the bones of like a special economic zone or a non-governmental organization. You know, I think that there, there's probably some sort of structure, some sort of structure like that, that um, would help to do that. Ladies and gentlemen, we got Jason Sheffield here. Hey, hey good to meet you guys. What's up, Jason? All right, Jason, you popped in at a perfect time. I'm going to have Ben read this thing one more time. and I want to get your opinion on it. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Go ahead, right. Ben. Third time's a charm, as they say. You know it. You know it. All right. Our society faces problems at scale. We can solve these problems by an intentional effort to merge age-old practices, modern technology, and the functional pieces of various systems we use today into a new model a model for community and business that honors the individual by focusing on individual wealth, health, and liberty. Okay. Are you ready to join? I think so. <laughs> How would you, like, what, what do you think of when you hear that? I was, I was digging it. <laughs> I, I was kind of beginning to think like, okay, what is this? Like this kind of thing resonates. Like, Who's talking like that? Where is this coming from? I want to hear more. I don't quite understand it, but I have a desire to dig deeper into the nuances of what was being shared. All right. That's a sign of a good elevator pitch. <laughs> <laughs> sure is. Ben's got a project he's been working on for, for quite some time called the Terra Libre project. And I don't, I don't, you don't have, you don't, you got your infographics coming up maybe next week or so. Yeah, I, I'm actually reading off of it now, but it's not ready to really ah, share. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, so he's got some pretty awesome ideas that he shared, and uh, that was his elevator pitch. He's mm -hmm. I know that you've had one meeting with some investors. Do you got some more coming up? Yeah, uh, I do, actually. It was um, – so this is – I kind of put a little bit of a pause on it because I did need to structure it in a, in a sense that would actually not not take away from the underlying – foundation of the project um but still make it an interesting opportunity for a you know philanthropy slash venture capital potentially um and i figured out the way to do that and it's basically just a two-stage thing where there'll be you know an initial investment from a, that'll be kind of a venture capital cap crowdfund type idea uh and then you know if i can get somebody to lead that round which i have a few meetings set up for that which would be kind of cool uh, then we take that and that would fold into kind of the initial uh, crypto coin essentially, but that coin would be attached to 
um, <clears throat> the business structure and dividends that would be pro, uh, from products and services that are already kind of developed. So I have systems built for, you know, regenerative farming and sustainable agriculture. I have automated indoor gardens that I've designed. Uh, a couple other little small things like that that really kind of enable the the foundations of this. Um, I've I've worked on a few three uh, D printed housing projects and some other things like that that kind of work into all this as well. Uh, so it, it's a whole lot of moving pieces that I'm putting into kind of a model that is potentially, if it needs to be, uh, could have a venture capital kind of investment fund that would propel it and they would be able to benefit and everybody else would be able to benefit and it doesn't ruin the overarching progress. How do you get the venture cap? Like it seems just the word venture capital means that they're going to see a big chunk of all the profits before it gets distributed to the, like other people. So you have different types of contracts um, mm -hmm. and it's not going to be every venture capital fund, but there is kind of an interesting nuance because of what's happening in the world with all of this, uh, the climate change and the green new deals and all of this <laughs> right stuff, there's a lot of money being thrown at things called climate mm. tech uh, mm. Mm. uh so you know this actually checks all of those boxes you know it, it's not really uh, it doesn't agree with the narrative if you will but it checks all the boxes for that uh mm. which you know if if somebody's serious about the endeavor then they're you know if their boxes are checked their boxes are checked yeah it's a good point does it does it fit into the psychedelic community? Is there a wing, a psychedelic wing? Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> you're 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 pushing me way forward in, in things I really want to talk about because because I really want to get this all out. I know, in like some sort of form. But if you think about it, there isn't, there really is no community without really honoring our our spiritual aspect of what it is to be. Is this true? It's very um, true, and, and you know, to try to to try to make something uh, without that is you're just flirting with disaster already. Hmm. So, you know, there is definitely a spiritual aspect to this, and I think it, it really comes down to uh, it's not those things don't make the model work. The model work will work with multiple different people's perspectives on it. Hmm. It's nice. just creating a duplicatable model at its core that kind of loosely connects and aggregates all of these different potentially, uh, you know, intentional communities. If somebody wanted to duplicate that model and I'm not trying to push you too far. I'm just, I'm just curious. Like if someone wanted to use your model, would they franchise it or is it like, no, no they just take it and, and, and run with it. No, it's going to be an open source thing. Um, nice. the idea behind this is, is I, I don't want to be anybody's leader. I don't want to be anybody's babysitter. I don't want no to profit off this. I'm not a, I don't want to be anybody's guru, uh, but I want to enable people to have the ability to, you know, solve the problems of individual wealth, health and liberty. Yeah. And this is a way to do that. And if people want, and if it works and the model duplicates, it just works greater for everybody involved in the model. So then you have kind of a, you know, a viral effect. I like yeah. it. Yeah. It's good to think about what, um, if we shift gears here for a minute, I was talking to Jason earlier this week about just different ways people take psychedelics and the way it's affected people. And I had asked Jason this question. I may have asked it this question, but the question is to everybody here, 
what do you think about the idea of taking psychedelics as in like if, if you are going to be a coach, if you are going to be someone that guides other people through difficult times through psychedelics, what do you think about you as the individual taking the psychedelic to diagnose their problem for them? What do you think, Ranga? I think uh, psychedelics is a very internal thing. It works very internally. So, at least for my, for me, based on what I've interacted with the drug, right? So okay. I think yeah, there can be a facilitator or a trip sitter who can take the drug in pretty much a middle range dose having a control over the conscious mind as well as be able to step out of it right while the patient is actually doing the work so you can just be a guide and i haven't pondered upon it a lot but there can be certain ways the patient can be guided with the right set of questions right so setting the intention right so with the intention you have a kind of a framework in on which you can work on but it's all client specific so there's going to be a lot of meetings just before in forming the trust between a facilitator and a client rather than oh yeah we just get started and you know do it today or tomorrow right so it's yeah. going to be weeks of just talking and forming that to be able to understand even during when you're going into a bad trip that this voice reminds you of something as simple as it can be to come back to reality on some level would you like if you were going to help like it seems interesting to me because i think there's a gray area like i've taken psych normally i do it by myself however i have taken psychedelics with my friends and when i've taken them with my friends i felt like it was sort of a way to bond and both of us can maybe got to some similar places like that however i know in modern medicine it's looked down upon to to take it like you wouldn't i wouldn't take like some ritalin just because you're taking ritalin you know but in in might there be an area where you as a person could take psychedelics with someone else and help them like what would you see you see that happening ranga would you ever find yourself in that position as a professional 100% i believe that's uh, one of uh, stronger pathways of going forward where the connection is there and uh, being able to share that energy i'm sure you can do that without the help of the drug as well but with my current mindset and where i am at it uh, naturally getting into that state i'm just thinking that of uh, drug assisting a process right so it can be in, in both uh, observers yeah right yeah to get to a point of merging <laughs> it's that gets philosophical it doesn't fit into the framework of explanation but yeah yeah words fail at a point in yeah. time i i was i was kind of jason i was kind of hoping you could share your story because when Jason and I had a conversation, we were talking about heroic doses and I was under the impression that Jason was going to tell me about a heroic dose in the name of Terrence McKenna and the heroic dose that he talked about far exceeded anything I had thought possible. And so uh, it, it kind of touches on, on set and setting and doing it with someone else. But Jason, can you share your story with Paul and Ben and Ranga about the, uh, the mega dose? Yeah, absolutely. It'd be, Thank you. That'd be fun to, to dive into. But I, I kind of want to speak to, a little yeah, bit to of the course. point of like, before getting into that. Yeah. But I think there's this sense that 
at some point in your work with people, and again, I think it really depends on what is the intention, if it's coaching, therapy, or spiritual direction, right? And I think in certain realms, yeah, you, you're doing all three, but I also think sometimes that if it's in that more spiritual direction space, that the facilitators should be tuned in enough that they don't need the psychedelics to be able to guide the person where they need to. And I, as I've sat with like medicine men and others, they're, you know, they're, I know they're not partaking and they're able to guide in a way that they can be in tune. But then also, you know, sometimes like depending certain ceremonies, you know, especially like with an ayahuasca ceremony, often the facilitators will drink a little tea as well and kind of, you know, obviously kind of tune in a little bit. So it's, it's an interesting question of like, yeah how often or what does that really really look like and i don't i don't know it's kind of a both and in in many ways it's kind of how i i think about it but so, yeah so remind me i have a story that um you know uh i would agree with most everything that was said it, 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 i had a very different experience this year i was at a convention in vegas and it was somebody i didn't know and the whole situation changed via touch and mm -hmm. then the the um there was a conversation after it, but yeah, don't let me forget to tell that. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, like, yeah, sounds like a good story. So yeah, you know, I had been doing a little bit of research about kind of the mega dose side of things and just being able to, to kind of, uh, Kalindi, I forget, I can never pronounce his last name, but check him out. This dude, I mean, he was a magician and had a deep, deep understanding and he was, Talking about doing, you know, 20, 30 gram doses. He talked about, I think the most he said he ever did was 60 grams. Oh. Was I mean, he has a if you if you YouTube his videos, like, I mean, yeah, that's that is a magician in many ways. I don't know that there's very many people that that can go there. But as I got interested into kind of he talked about us saying, you know, psilocybin, we right now are really framing it up in this like medicinal thing, right? It'll help with your therapy and it'll help with PTSD and depression. And absolutely, right. We know this to be true, but he was saying, you know, they call them the magic mushrooms for a reason. And you've got to go a little bit deeper to be able to find that magic. And that was kind of in that 20 to 30 gram dose. And so again, you know, every person, I don't know, I would never recommend this. I feel like that's always the caveat. You got to say that. Uh, but decided to to do that. So I kind of led my way up to it. I first did a 14 gram, kind of felt what that was. And, and I think it was interesting because it I think it gave me more confidence than it should have. <laughs> like I handled the 14 gram experience pretty okay. Like it was, you know, it was a little chaotic. It was a little rough, but like it wasn't anything crazy. And I'm like, all right, like this is good. Like I think I'm really ready for this. And then it just, I mean, it talk about like the magic, like it wasn't even about medicine at that point. You know, the drop in was, it just, it was like, it was like a normal, tri normal trip, but times a thousand, like it was just the normal process, but just so fast. I drank it as a tea. So literally I just, I grounded it up with, by kind of like in a pestle. Cause I wanted to go through a ceremonial part with it. It was like, I've got to like own this thing. So I like hand ground everything up and then I soaked it in some lemon and then I poured it in a big cup as a tea and it was more like a soup. I mean, I had to use a spoon to like get the chunks in. So that was, was, was a little rough, but it wasn't, you know, again, it wasn't too, too bad. 
And then I was like, all right. And I went to the, to the couch and I was like, all right, I had a blindfold. I was ready to kind of fall into this. And I mean, within probably 20 minutes, the blindfold was uncomfortable and everything started to shift and it got scary. Like it got really hard. And it was kind of that initial death and a physical death that unlike any other kind of trip I had been on. And in the back of my mind, I was, you know, I knew this couldn't kill me. I knew this was safe. I knew I was safe and I was in a safe place. And I had a, a sitter that was safe and was making sure I was staying safe. And so, and I could communicate with them and say, you know, hey, I, you know, I, I really began to feel like I was going to die. I have it on recording, which my sitter did it for me. And I was like, I went back and it's, it's rough. I, I was like, how did you have the patience for like an hour and a half? I basically kept repeating, am I going to die? Um, I don't know if you've ever met somebody that has a concussion and then they, after a concussion, they can perseverate where they lose their short-term memory. Um, and they, and they will ask the same question, like every 30 seconds, I felt like that. It felt like I kind of just couldn't, like it couldn't land that I was going to be okay. So I kept wrestling and it was very physical. Um, a lot of movement. It wasn't like I was totally down. Um, and you know, there was purging that was taking place as well. You know, I don't know all the details, but <laughs> it was that process, right? And it was, a, it was a death process. It was literally like sitting with my mortality and sitting with the reality that death is coming and sitting with the gift of life. And, and really the, at the end of the day, the magic of the mushrooms is what I did mention on our podcast, George, of the secret of the universe, you know, the Dicean saying that if you die before you die, when you die, you won't die. It was that experience. It was literally facing and, and holding the emotional weight of death, not a, not a knowledge, but it was a bodily feeling of death. And it was like cellularly, I knew what death could feel like and, and the fear of crossing over to the other side and the fear of like, how do I take the next breath and then the surrender and my sitter giving me permission to basically say, Hey, what if you don't take the next breath? Right? What, how do you surrender to this? And then the shift began to happen and I began to find my breath and I began to find some sense of peace. And then it was like, okay, I can work with this and I can do this. And then I, I was like, I do I have, I have all the tools around me that I need. I have, I have my sound bowls. I have my rocks, you know, I've got the things that like I can ground me and I can, I can work with this. And there's like, I needed water. And, and then I kind of just put myself back together. And then it was like experiencing heaven. It was just so in tune with source. So in tune with just a divine consciousness that, was euphoric and it was you know the music was incredible just the the sense of breath time just meditating and it was just like a different level took the best shower i've ever had i mean this is like the whole nine like it was amazing so yeah yeah it the, i it it brings up a question to me that we kind of spoke to a little bit and i know i've spoken to ben about this and I think I've spoken to Paul, but I don't know if I've asked Ranga. It seems to me at the higher levels, the higher you like, I was telling Jason that anywhere between like five and like eight or 10 grams, I found myself in this incoherence where like, I, I really felt like a lot of ecstasy. Like I felt great. And I felt like I, I felt the knowing. However, when I started coming back down, I couldn't really remember exactly what it was that I was thinking about when I was at the peak. 
And when I took, I've taken, when I took 18 grams, that was like a different, it was a different animal to me because there was a lot of clarity that I could take back home that I could, that I could fundamentally remember and remember it crisply where on those smaller doses, even though they're bigger than the average dose, there was a lot of incoherence. Like, so I was curious if, if, if other people had, had, had that same situation, Jason had mentioned to me that he thinks that it's at these higher doses that you begin to pierce that veil that anything, you know, and I, I'm not trying to say that 10 or eight or five or insignificant doses, every yeah, one of those yeah. doses can be huge doses for someone and they could probably experience very similar things. Mm. But in my case and other people's case, it seems to me that at some of these higher doses, there seems to be a clarity that you don't get from the other doses. What Ben, have you, have you experienced that? Um, yes, in, in, in the past. And then recently I've been experimenting with a new process, which I oh, nice. talked to you a little bit about. Um, nice. But, you know, the word is integration. Um, and so instead of actually, you know, taking these and laying down and meditating or whatnot, I go out in the sun and I start to run and I get physical, really physical. And all of a sudden, I'm looping back around for more mushrooms and a little bit of water, and more mushrooms and a little bit of water, and more mushrooms and a little bit of water. And that was the first few times I did it. And then it got to the point where I was able to hit that same state um, at, at multiple different levels of mushrooms. Uh, and so this kind of leads me into my story, but uh, I don't have to tell it yet if you have something else, George. <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, yeah, please tell it. Let me hear it. Yeah, I'd love I want to hear the story. So, I was a uh, so I've been doing this for probably about a year now or so. Um, I taught my buddy how to do it too. Uh, and so it was a duplicatable process, which is always nice to ensure you're not absolutely batshit crazy. Uh, and we were actually at a conference in Vegas. Um, and we basically integrated about nine to 11 grams of mushrooms in the morning and we were just there just entertaining people uh just you know there was a group of people always around us it was an electric event um we were just outside we weren't even actually in the convention we just had this posse of people all around us all of a sudden i look over my shoulder and there's this kid freaking out and i can see it like everybody starts to move away from him because he's like shaking, talking to himself, muttering in uncomprehensible words. And everybody's kind of getting freaked out and I can feel the energy kind of shifting. And I was like, eh, not today. And I walked over to him and I put my hand on his shoulder. And my intent, you know, he didn't know me, I didn't know him. My intent was obviously to alleviate what he was going through. And instantly he responded. He started to shake a little bit less, came back, looked at me, had a conversation for like five minutes. Everybody started to come back. I won't share his story because it's personal, but, <laughs> um, and then everybody, you know, came around him started to talk and everything. And then he looks at me and he goes, I don't, I don't know how to introduce myself to people. And he was like, there were certain things like he was just, he didn't really have, and I was like, Oh, it's really easy. And I was like, what's your name? And I'll call him Kevin. Uh, you know, he's like, I'm Kevin. I was like, hey, Kevin, my name's Ben. And he shook my hand, and all of a sudden, his entire demeanor changed. Everybody was shaking his hand, giving him fist bumps, giving him hugs. Uh, and he 
before he left, he's like, thank you. I, 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 I was gone. And then, you know, and it was a grand total of maybe a 25 minute thing. So, mm. you know, there was a, <laughs> you know, for me, the highly scientific guy and then having, you know, I've, I've had some other interesting experiences too, but this one was kind of that um, from the hermetic philosophy, you know, kind of like the transmutation of mental energy. Right. Uh, and it was, yeah. And it, 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 there was tons of people around me. My buddy who was also in a similar state witnessed the whole thing too. And it was just, it was a very curious moment in time that I'm still kind of unpacking. So. That's a, that's, that's out of control, man. Like in a beautiful way, it's out of control. It was, it was wild. I, it was just one of those things where it was like, the second I touched him on his shoulder, I just kind of felt it. It was just, if you weren't, you know, if I wasn't in that state, I wouldn't have felt it, but it was just an instinct thing. And he just popped back and I could talk to him and he would listen to me and we're complete strangers. Hmm. So, you know, kind of harking back to what we were talking about with, you know, medicine and intervention and things like that. I think there's a bit more to the equation to be had. Hmm. I think, you know, there is, um, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, if if I was a psychologist, hey, buddy, why don't you sit down? It's okay. Calm down. You know, get this guy a blanket. There's all these you know, little nuances and things. And right. I just walked over to him like, oh, no, no, buddy, we're having a great time here. You're going to have a good time, too. Do you think and, if you if you didn't have mushrooms, like you would have even talked to him? Do you think you might have backed away like everybody else? No, I, I'm, I'm usually one of those people who, who talk to somebody and make sure everything's okay. Uh, but on mushrooms, I'm... I'm a million times more that person i can <laughs> i can read a room like you wouldn't imagine and i you know i felt it before people started to back away and then i saw the visible representation and i was like oh i can fix that yeah you didn't need to talk to him you just touched him like that's yep. how powerful it is like uh, yeah yeah that's and and what it actually was is you know not getting too much into a story but he just needed that kind of contact the life that he was living because uh, he told me his whole life story in the five, brief five-minute thing and why he was in that state. And the life that he was living was pretty much devoid of contact with people, and it was completely counter to his morals and all these other things that was causing him a very much a psychotic break in that moment. I remember this other dude that, like, there's stories about him where he'd walk around and touch people that were, like, <laughs> kind of freaking out and being demonic. Like, just saying, like, that shit like that's awesome like that's a that's a beautiful thing yeah if there's more of that we probably have less school shootings probably have like a little yeah. bit better world you know what i mean Touch. well you, you know i kind of built up a little bit to it because i really think it's actually a teachable skill yeah mm. I don't first think responder. It's, it, it's not a, it's not a, i mean i imagine there's talent and everything right a little bit there's some innateness to things right nurture versus nature uh but it's definitely a teachable skill. And I was, you know, I've been able to repeat that integration process, that part of the, the mushroom experience uh, with multiple people. Hmm. It's so, it's interesting because when I think of mushrooms and I think of, of the um, mycelium growing in and in exchanging information to other trees, the same way the, the same way that my, I don't, I don't think so. I'm not sure the the same way the mycelium runs through you and then it um you know you, you reach out and touch somebody else it's almost like your touch is a form of communication you know well it, it most certainly was I, right you know it, it it was and it was visceral i i experienced it too but it was 
that fast. I mean, it was in a moment. And then, you know, the conversation was kind of, you know, the, the after effect of it, but everything changed in that moment, but it was a felt thing. Mm. So, and, you know, kind of other research I've done into, you know, the effects of mushrooms on the human body. Uh, we have these things called ionophores in our system. And ionophores are electrical charge carriers that transport electrical charge from the cells to the extraneous tissue. Um, and the way that those ionophores are formed in the system is primarily through fungus and bacteria. And so I highly suspect, and you know, when you look at the fMRI results and the neuroplasticity results and, and the different things of people under the influence of hallucinogens or enthogens, probably more specifically, uh, I think you're getting not just an increased connectivity inside the body, but you're actually getting an increased charge. And when you go into these states of this like integration where, you know, extraneous physical exercise, what that does on a physiological level, I'm decoding a little bit, but you know, you're you're pumping adrenaline into your system. You're having, you know, cortisol's building up in the system. You're you're creating a different environment. And I think those, you know, just like set and setting, it's the internal set and setting. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You're if your veins are dilated and the blood is pumping faster, you know, you're you're you are a different animal when you're working out, you know, so why wouldn't it affect your body in a different way? You know, it, it, it's a whole nother set and setting. To, like you said, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder sometimes too. I was, I was thinking about along the similar lines of like, like tryptamines fit, they fit like neurotransmitters, right? Like they, they fit into like the, uh, five, two, a receptor. Mm -hmm. And so, like when I think of neurotransmitters, I think of them like that. That's what correct. Okay. So let me just throw this out there and tell me if I'm wrong. So the, the neurotransmitters gets fired from the dendrite to a next dendrite in between the synaptic gap. Right. Mm -hmm. And it tells, it says it shoots across the dopamine or the serotonin into this one. And then that tells this one what to do. So if, if in fact the psilocybin fits the key and it's shot across it's, it fits the key to that neurotransmitter. Isn't that basically the, the mushroom talking to us? Like that's the form of language, right? When, when the neurotransmitter goes across the synaptic gap, isn't that language that's telling the nerve what to do. So if psilocybin does the same thing, isn't that the plant telling us what to do? Wouldn't that be considered language? Wouldn't that be the plant talking to us? Uh, yeah, I think, there's a little bit of there that's a misconstruction. Okay. I think, okay. uh, you know, when your neurotransmitter uh, gets bound to, then it kicks off, you know, it will release other things like a, it, it's a cascade effect. Okay. Right? Uh, but in essence, you know, what you said is still, still the same. Uh, when, you know, the psilocybin binds to that 5-MeO uh, receptor, or they, yeah, sorry, uh, then it kicks off a dopamine uh, cascade and it also accelerates acetylcholine in the brain um, and uh, it activates serotonin serotoninogenic <laughs> receptors as well. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's communication. I, I don't think, you know, 
I, I, I would also suspect, uh, I'll admit it first, that most people who have gone deep into mushroom trips do feel an inner connection uh, a little bit to the mushroom itself, you know, and not just that, but to where it grows, the environments that it's involved in, the process in which it came, how it influenced humanity, um, you know, yeah. how, you know, what, what sort of used their antiquity. And I think it's kicked off, it definitely kicked off my journey. Um, you know, and, and continues to redo so. <laughs> yeah, I, I like for lack of a better way to describe it, I feel like I'm communicating with the planet on high doses of mushrooms. Sometimes well, I feel it's the strain or, you know, but I, I feel that. So another aspect, another perspective on that is we are transceivers, right? We're all we're receiving and we're transmitting data all the time. Mm. And when you have a greater activity in your brain, you're, you're transmitting and receiving and processing more data. And, you know, like synesthesia, which we've covered before, you're tapping into different sensory processing areas of the brain while all this information is flowing through. So, you know, in essence, you are hearing a greater degree of the world around you. Your, 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 sen your ability to process that sensory data is heightened, um, you know, to different degrees at different times, but certainly heightened. Uh, so I, you know, there's a lot to be said about, you know, people who do very much feel like they're community of nature when they go out on a mushroom trip in the forest. Yeah. What I've do you think? To too. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the best conversations I've had with my avocado tree outside. <laughs> Always tells me the answers, you know, I think you get like, I, I, like I've told this story before too, but like, you know, I think you can learn a lot just by looking at the ecosystem of the plant and seeing your own life. Like, hey, look at all these little weeds around here. Like, sometimes I'll be out there and I'll be coming down. And I'll be like, there's all these weeds around the root of this thing. And then it makes me think about, like, all the weeds in my life. Like, you know what's growing over here that probably doesn't need to grow is my ego. I'd probably cut that one down. And if you just start thinking about the ecosystem in which the plant grows, you can really relate that to the ecosystem in which you grow. You know, we always talk about so above, so below, but mm -hmm. Ranga, what are you thinking of that? You're pretty quiet, my friend. What, what is this? What do you make of the idea of language and psilocybin and psychedelics? First of all, one of the reasons I was silent is because I was thinking about the dosage you were talking about. So I thought I'll quietly go away, <laughs> meet you guys in three months time or something where I can have my double digit or even I'm, I just had this uh, thought for the last two weeks, uh, listening to Dennis McKenna mm. uh, about heroic dose. And I've been trying to, okay, I'm going to get this five grams. So mm. I, I literally have planned for the five grams for the first time. And you guys were talking about 18 and 24. So, <laughs> so I think Ranga, all it means is we maybe have been practicing a little longer. You are on yes. the right path at the right time. Absolutely. And I, yeah, do not I, feel that. I'm 15 I, years in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's three years for me. I, I think uh, I, uh, that's true because uh, there is no, uh, it's just that curiosity peaks and I start trying. And mm -hmm. now the curiosity is towards uh, mm -hmm. trying different uh, compounds to see the minute changes in states of consciousness, right? As you were saying with respect to senses being brightened. So, uh, my partner and I discuss what's happening. Is it like a, a sixth sense that grows or it's just sharpening of five senses and so much interactivity between those, right? So you sense to, you see to, you see reality in a very different way. 
right with respect to mushrooms uh, sitting on it i think it's it's beautiful right communication happens in so many ways and this is that's how neurons and uh, receptors are communicating so if a mushroom goes and sits there it's it's the best uh, thing and uh, yeah i have felt after taking mushrooms more curious about go- growing them even though i'm i haven't uh, made the effort to grow them it's just the curiosity that began and uh, i wouldn't have normally tried to watch uh, fungi right on uh, netflix mm-hmm. or something but there is a drive now it it just comes mm-hmm. you know right you you're you're seeing like 20 icons on the screen and your eyes pick up this one <laughs> like yep <laughs> some bit of the psilocybin still stayed in the system now if you look at history as a whole and, and we take like the stoned ape theory and things like that and we look at all these old things and we say that the mushroom has been integral to the evolution of humans is it is it the mushroom that's been integral to the evolution of humans or the humans integral to the propagation of the mushroom <laughs> it seems like we have, we're all pretty fond of mushrooms <laughs> i think i think it's that's the beautiful like symbiotic relationship between things that need each other like the fungi need us and we need the fungi like it's this beautiful thing that you can't say it's one or the other that's like we've been serving each other from the very beginning it's it's a a beautiful dance between the the two consciousnesses because i think the language thing makes total sense it is a consciousness right i mean you begin to understand it can communicate with fucking trees and all of the stuff that it, it, it can talk. It can, you know, even now they have like the, the stuff like Paul Stamets, you know, plug in like things onto it and you can hear the music oh, and the, right. The, oh, yeah. It's beautiful. They are. So, I mean, just, yes, I feel like you, you can't like, you have to think about it that way. Cause that's exactly what's going on. Yeah. For a moment, like, you know, that have done the hero dose, you know, in, in 10 years, like, what do you think the dosage is going to go for you personally, you know, even over the next five years and to try to, to push it to, you know, from 18 to 25, from 25 to 30. I hope so. I, I would like to get at least an, I would like, I think for me, the next one will be an ounce. I was going to do 24, but Jason's already done that. So there's no. <laughs> oh, hold on, hold on here. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, ben, I'm trusting Ben knows what I he's know, talking about. I he's know. not called Mr. Wizard so, for nothing. So here's the, here's the thing. You know, it, 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 I'll tell you the next evolution, Paul. The next evolution is now you just start up in your daily dose. In your what? Your, your daily? daily dose. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I don't have a daily <laughs> practice. <laughs> like, you know. I, I started doing, you know, psychedelics in like 1990. There might be people here that weren't even born then, but, <laughs> um, but, you know, I've had, you know, at times, you know, like love, hate relationship with hallucinogens, all different types where I, I pushed myself to go, you know, to take more LSD or to do more mushrooms you know, at a time. And then I went through long stretches of my life where I was just completely turned off to hallucinogens mm. altogether. Mm. You know, where it's like even the thought of like, hey, you, you know, like we're all going to like eat some mushrooms. You want to, and like before the sentence even ends, I was just like, fuck no. <laughs> you know, and I think that was something inside of me that was like pushing back a little bit saying, hey man, like you went pretty hard there for a long time and and it's time to back off. It's not mm. right right now you know mm-hmm. and then slowly then all of a sudden one day i was like wow i'd really like to you know i'd like to try some psychedelics again 
and then start to, you know, kind of build up and, 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 and what I found, like, as I've gotten older, it's never been more about like trying to push myself to do more. In fact, it's like, I've kind of gone the other way. Like, what can I get out of like a little dose, mm. you know, like a couple grams of mushroom or a single hit of acid, you know, or, you know, any of the other various, you know, psychedelics out there. So I'm just kind of wondering, like, you know, if maybe any of you guys have, it sounds like you haven't experienced any sort of pushback from, you know, from this type of medicine in your life. You just keep pushing more and more forward. And that's cool. Uh, I mean, I can honestly say I have, especially back in the day when I first started, I was, I was everything, you know, I was trying different substances, salvia, you know, um, angel's trumpet, datura, I, you know, all sorts of different things, especially as I was traveling Central and South America. And there was a time after just going through, because it was also the nature in which I was doing it in hindsight. You know, I was doing it just to explore these different things. I wasn't actually doing it to try to, I wasn't, you know, using it as medicine. I wasn't trying to integrate it into different parts of my life. My intent wasn't supportive of you know a, a practice in that sense uh these days you know it's different for me because my intent is to develop a practice uh and to explore different practices that can be beneficial to other people uh so that's kind of you know been my intent and focus recently so i i haven't felt that in a long time but you know i i would you know just like everything else set and setting and i think yeah. you know when you push it too hard at some points, all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm just knocked on death's door or I just almost knocked on, you know, losing my mind. You know, maybe I, you know, I'm just, no, I'm done for me. I've, I've definitely been there. I mean, I always thought that like the, the periods that I went without using those substances, you know, were actually like really big periods of growth for me, mm-hmm. where I took those experiences that I had you know, and were able to reflect on like the things that were happening in my life, you know, and combine mm-hmm. them with past, you know, psychedelic experiences and really kind of, you know, kind of, you know, merge the two together. But, you know, for me, for some reason, it was just like there was not only was there not like, you know, like a desire to want to do those for a time in my life. It was like like a really big pushback. And, I, you know, and I've been doing a lot of thinking you know, like internally a pushback and doing a lot of thinking of, you know, where that came from. What does that stem from? Like, like, you know, did my body, you know, it's like, it's like REM sleep, right? Like you bring in all this information in and then at night your, your brain, you know, sorts it all out and stores what it needs and gets rid of the things that it doesn't need. And, and so, you know, I started thinking about, you know, hallucinogenic experiences and, and, um, you know, I'm like, Hey, I think, I think it's good to have rest from stuff like that. And it helps your body kind of price process and your mind process the experiences that you've had, you know, and I think your, I think your mind and your, you know, begins to speak to you, you know, maybe as much as the plant itself, you know, that it's time to process. I think the, I think the best thing that you're bringing Paul is that at the end of the day, you remember all of this stuff is so connected to the individual. And to start saying on a mat, like to, and I think that's why our stories and we have to share our stories and our experiences because yeah, there are themes that are going to come up and they're going to kind of, they're going to help direct on some level, but the individual has to do that work of realizing like, yeah, if I'm just getting too much downloads and I'm not integrating it into my life, it's no longer serving me. 
Like again, right. I think at the end of the day, like these these this magic, this stuff serves us and it supports us. And if we do it too much or we're not integrating it into our lives, it can lead to some really dark places, right? I mean, we gotta remember this stuff is 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 just as many good stories. There are hard and and tra traumatic stories around the you know misuse of this stuff so i think we just have to keep that in mind that the the health of the individual is so paramount in knowing how to do work with this stuff and when to do it and what's right for one person's not going to be right right for the other but i love ultimately what you're saying is that we're working to get to that place where we kind of don't need it i mean that's kind of one of my my goals on some level and I love it because Ram Das tells this story of his guru Maharaji, and I'm sure if you follow Ram Das, you've heard the story, right? Where he gives gives Ram, um, gives Maharaji the the high dosage of LSD, and he pops it, and he doesn't experience anything because he just lives in that. Like that's attainable. I think that's really the reality. We don't need the medicine to get there. We don't need these things to get there. They can support us, but ultimately, if we're doing the work in our lives and we have a practice that's alignment without like our true identity. Then we're going to find our ways to to be able to show up to this world that's truly unique and beautiful and dare i say magical like really at the end of the day i agree there's many paths up the mountain many many ways yeah you yeah, know I, sometimes i listen to people talk about mushrooms and you know like today and it seems like it's, a lot of it is like socially driven you know because it's oh, like trendy it's like cool yeah. thing to do you know like hey let's micro dose let's macro dose let's Go find ourselves let's heal ourselves from all our pain and you know like what george was saying earlier about like you know you know can you coach somebody while you are also you know um you know on on, on a similar dose of as someone who's trying to find you know a solution to a problem that they have while while you know on a hallucinogen and and so you know we i think i think like the practical experience of of hallucinogens um, you know, I think gets lost a lot in, in just like youth. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, burning man culture, burning man culture, yeah. perfect example. Yeah, I didn't start practicing until my mid thirties. So I honestly, I feel like I didn't have any of that stuff in my twenties. I don't even know what that would be. I'm glad I didn't, but I can see like, yeah, like that stuff. It, it's, it's got his dark side. I kind of I, I find a an, an interesting affair. I've had an interesting affair with it where, you know, granted, you want to be responsible and it's difficult to do when you're younger, probably just because everything's more difficult to be responsible when you're younger. But as I get older, like I see my use of psychedelics, particularly mushrooms, because that's pretty much one of the only ones I do. But it's a lot like the mushroom trip itself. For me, I'll do it like... I'll do it maybe six Saturdays in two months and then I'll stop for a while. So for me, it's like, it's like the same way that the trip comes in waves. So too, do I use it in a similar way? And I didn't really think about that until I listened to you guys talk about it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's higher. You know, sometimes I do a run that's higher doses and sometimes I'll just do a, a run of like an eighth or micro dose for like six weeks or seven weeks. Mm -hmm. But now that I think about it, it usually manifests itself in the same way that the trip does. And I, I wonder if that has something to do with the individual's body chemistry. Paul had mentioned that, you know, you, your body felt a certain way. Your body was telling you to back off. And Ben had mentioned like, he's got his own governor on there. Like maybe as an individual, the same way, the same mushrooms would make us trip differently or have a different trip. 
the same way do we regulate our own use of it? I wonder if it's something that's unique to the individual. Yeah, I think so. And it wasn't like I was having bad experiences when I was using right. it. You're just it integrating was, it. Yeah, it was just like, uh, you know, hey, it's done. You know, I'm done for now. And that done this lasts for years. Yeah, you know, I can see that. While I reflected, you know, and I, and I did a lot of reflection, you know, and actually like, you know, really got deep within myself and started questioning, you know, like what was the purpose to all, right. you know, learn, you know, what, you know, did anything good come out, you know, on the other end? And, and, and a lot did. I mean, a lot was good. I mean, from my very, one of my very earliest experiences, you know, using LSD, I was like, you know, I don't even think you're born as a person until you've had some sort of psychedelic trip, you know, and a really, you know, the, the you know, dissolving the ego and actually accepting more than one idea. Like those were things that at my time, at that time of my life were like, those are foreign, ideas, you know? And then, but I think there's a point where it's like, you know, so I, I listen to your guys' stories today and I'm, and I'm just wondering, like, I think it's inevitable that each one of you will hit the wall at some point. I think I've already hit it. Like I, I stopped doing them for a long, for a long period of time. And then, you know, I, for some reason, I, I I ran across them again, you know, and I don't know if it's that I found the mushrooms or the mushrooms found me or, symbiosis. you know, yeah, right. Symbiosis of some kind, like when, when something shows up in your life, you know, I, I believe there's a bigger force talking to you. And maybe that's just me seeing the way the world, the way I see it. But I think when things become evident, you start seeing this bumper sticker that's like, God, this is like a, I saw a, my wife was telling me about some bumper sticker she saw. She's she's like, oh, God, I've been seeing all this stuff about working with the coral reef, George. And I saw this bumper sticker the other day that said, you should be on a coral reef. So my wife's been seeing all this stuff. And I'm like, that's like the planet talking to you. She goes, yeah, I sat on this job interview and I was just so, what the fuck am I doing here? I don't want to work here. And I'm like, so, you know, and I've had things happen like that in my life. And I, I really believe that there is a level of communication that everyone is open to if you're just willing to see it, to willing to understand the picture. And sometimes I think that that comes from the mushrooms and like a, or psych, a psychedelic experience. I think you're open. It, it's so it's like Ben was saying, on some level, when you get the flush of neurotransmitters, when the default mode network is switched off in your brain and you're processing, visual information in the language center and you're processing language in the vision center. I think that there's some residue that stays in your brain. There's some of those connections that don't fully unconnect after large trips or even smaller trips. So you're rewiring your brain in a lot of ways. And if you, it's like, it's like, um, you know, learning a new language. If you want to learn a new language, you should be submerged in that language for a year. If I go to Spanish one and Spanish two in high school and I do that class, for 30 minutes, once a day, I'm probably going to get nowhere near as close as I would to learning the language if I went to Mexico and lived there for six months. If you're submerged in something, you have to learn it because you have to. The same way where if you take psychedelics for a long period of time, I think that you're engaging new connections and you're keeping those connections tighter. The same way memories are formed, right? The more the memor think about the process of memorization. If you quote, if you if you read a paragraph twenty times, you're probably going to remember it versus if you read it one or two times. So if you take psychedelics ten or twenty times, you're going to have that same connection between the visual cortex and language. So now, even though you don't have the psychedelics, you're going to begin to process information in that center of the brain. 
So that, I think, is the language you're able to see out in the open. And I, I think that, that it fundamentally changes your brain. So I think you're able to read more cues, whether it's pheromones, whether it's, it's um, brighter colors, whether it's some form of synesthesia. I think you're able to find out, to have a, a deeper connection and deeper communication with, with the, the planet, you know, in, in a weird sort of way. And intent falls into that very Yes, strongly, right? that's you a great know, point. It's foundational to that. What's your intent to go down this path? And when you when you define that intent, especially to yourself, you know you're going to create those neural pathways that are going to be reinforced by these experiences. Um, you know, to what you were saying, Paul. Like I haven't actually taken mushrooms since that story that I told you guys earlier, which was earlier in this year, like February, March. Um, simply because I'm reflecting on that still, uh, you know, so it's not something like, I'm just like, woohoo, what's the next, what's the next level here? Where can we go? You know, my, my process has been a continual one into George point. It's been very, you know, it, it, it's, it's been an ebb and flow, uh, yeah. and that ebb and flow in, in whenever there's that ebb, that's that reflection period. And if I were to hypothesize about it, I would say, that that reflection period is what we need to process and digest that information into meaningful um, changes into our lives. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever that intent that we set out to go down that path was, that's what we're looking for. And that's that reflection period that we take in order to then move to the next intent. Yeah, I fully it, agree. So like Holy. I'm on that same same wavelength. Like I've been on this journey and it built up to this experience and now like I have zero spark and I, I kind of Renga, as you were talking about, like when you follow that spark, that little thing that your eye catches, like that's the life that you need to go pursue. That's the divine calling you out. And so I've been following the spark and now I don't have like I have these sparks of like, OK, I learned a lot. I need this stuff to start showing up in my life now. I need to figure out how do I take action on this? What does this actually look like on this 3D plane? How do I find that same kind of thing now? because that was the whole point. And so, yeah, I have zero intent to feel like a call to go any deeper. I'm not saying I, I won't at any point, but right now it's not like, oh man, I'm ready to go do that again. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, so I agree. I think there, there are these, these ebbs and flows and walls and stopping in, in the process. You know, Ben, well, you know, several episodes ago, we were talking about you know psychedelics and if they could improve communication and i think you and i were having like a communication issue then where you know, i was thinking that you were saying that like during like a shared hallucinogenic experience with somebody that you could sharpen or better communication and i think i was saying well maybe that's true but i think that in order to improve communication because i think that was the topic of the of, of the podcast on that day was was that I think the, it's like, is what is your intentions while you're having a hallucinogenic experience? And then how do you, how are you able to build on that, you know, post experience? You know, that's where the real, like, you know, trying to hone your communication skills and being able to connect with other people on a, on a deeper level, you know, not necessarily while you're having a shared experience, but afterwards, for me, it's always been, you know, the real work of, of, and it took me a long time because like, I, you know, I started doing this stuff, you know, I don't know how old you guys are, but I'm 50. And, you know, so like in the nineties when it was like, Hey, you got to like call a hundred people, you know, in order to get <laughs> oh, yeah. like, some sort of you know psychedelic, 
you know, or you got to go somewhere, you know, for me, it was like me and my friends, you know, would go down to like Mission Beach in San Diego and just kind of like walk up and down the, you know, the, the, you know, the kind of boardwalk at night and wait for somebody on a skateboard or a bike to come by and say doses, 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 and follow that to a parking lot somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then you buy these things and then you take them. And so, you know, at first it was just about like, you know, um, you know, hey, this is a really cool experience. And I saw some wonderful things and um, had a really good time with my friends. And then over, it didn't take very long, but, you know, you start developing like the conversation that we would have post peak was always better than the, you know, the build up to the peak or the peak itself, you know, of, of the experience. And then so for me, it was always about like, how do I integrate these things? Some of these things that we discussed, these feelings that we shared, you know, between our, you know, each other, between each other, you know, while we're having these experiences, and how can we, how can we put those things into like, you know, into like some real play in our lives? You know, it was never about like, you, you know, became less and less about like the, like partying and more and more about like, you know, implementing real change in your life. I think that seems to be a common theme for a, a good chunk of people that's psychedelics. At but least for me, it was. I didn't have to set intentions after my first true trips, I think, because it was always about uh, exploring the aspects in a very different perspective or just letting, uh, surrendering to the medicine. It was more like that. So it, that was the priority. So even if there was a plan to you know, have songs or a speaker, those remain there as a tool, but it's not going to be used until the trip, you know, uh, goes in that particular way. So yeah. first, let, let it be how it, let's see how it is. So that kind of takes away the intent uh, for me. Like, I don't have to think about it because I... I, I for sure know I don't know anything compared to what the medicine is going to show me. So who am I to set intent? Well, your, becomes... your intent is to be along for the ride then. Yes, I, I think, you, you know, it's like this. When you don't make a choice, you're making a choice to not make a choice. <laughs> so it's uh, pretty much that. Yeah. I wonder, doesn't it kind of seem like, it seems to me like all of us have had this experience, what Paul just talked about, where it starts off as maybe something fun. And then it ends up in a conversation about something deeper, but in a weird way, couldn't that be considered like a rebirth? Like you're, you've, you've been reborn. Like you started off this world as a young person to have fun. And now you're beginning to get serious about it. Like that, that seems like a cycle of life. That seems like a rebirth to me. And it seems like something that the psychedelics help facilitate. Like maybe people are supposed to go through that and the psychedelics you're taking are just kind of grease in the track for you a little bit or allowing 100%, you to 100 percent, george you know i mean i think i think a lot of of like of myself like pre-psychedelics you know like you know not open to new ideas like a pretty rigid person in my thoughts you know real primitive actually is the best way to you know describe it you know and then for me it was like this you know bringing these new experiences in my life through the form of psychedelics mainly lsd you know, and and I could feel it like, you know, on the other side, you know, two years later, after a couple hundred, you know, hits of acid, you know, then you're like transformed into this person. Because every time I had a psychedelic experience, it was chipping away at some 
I believe some like rigidity in my life that needed to go, like some dead appendage, you know, that was like holding me back as a person, you know? And then I think I got to a point where it was like, my body was saying, okay, it's enough. Like you've made some strides here, you know? So now it's time to reflect on those experiences and try to figure out a way to use those things in a productive manner moving forward. And so like, when I tell you, like, I just didn't like, I, you know, say, Hey, I'm not into it. I'm not going to take it. I was, it was pretty like, like the thought of doing psychedelics would almost make me nauseous. Repulsive. Yeah. yeah repulsive. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think, you know, just like everything else that we observe around us and, and inside of us, it, it's all cyclical. Right? You know, we have, we have our circadian rhythm, 24 hour cycle. We have ultradian cycles, 90 minute cycles. We, we see the ebbs and the flows of the seasons of the, of the rivers of the seas of, you know, all these different things that we're surrounded by as above, so below. We talk about it quite often, but you know, it, it has, it, it's, I think there was a reason that the hermetic philosophers put it down as the first principle, right? Uh, you know, it seems to be replete everywhere we look. And I think when we respect and honor that observation, uh, we are able to proceed down various paths of whatever our intent is at a much larger pace, at a greater pace, at a greater bit of rate of understanding. Yeah, yeah. for sure. No, go I, ahead. Think for, I think for me too, like one of the things that really draws me to them, and, and this is something that I've come across lately because I've been doing a lot of it lately, like uh, probably twice a month, three times if I can manage to, to if, if my schedule will allow for it. I mean, I have, I have a family and obligations and stuff like that. And so, and I think it's fair that I think anybody listening to this should be, be honest with themselves and their family and the people around them. Like if you're hiding it, that's a huge problem. You know what I mean? Like you should be, if you're married or you have kids, you know, you know, you should, maybe you don't be, you don't have to tell your kids or anything, but you shouldn't be hiding it from like your wife or like, you know, you shouldn't be trying to do this thing that people don't know about. So that's the first part. But I think over the last two, maybe two and a half years, I've developed this relationship where I look at that the high of mushrooms as a different environment. And because I go there so much, I feel I'm becoming more comfortable with that environment. I feel like I've I can, I can get out and I can walk around and know the area the same way. If you went to a campground for the first time, you're like, Oh, I don't know where the bathrooms are, or I don't know if I should ride my bike up that place, you know, but after you go there enough, even though there may be some new trees or a new trail, I feel comfortable walking around there. And that allows me to, to continue down a pathway of thinking that is usually only accessible there. Like that's where I got a lot of ideas for my podcast and not only a lot of the ideas, but the, the power to do them. Like, you know, there, mm -hmm. I've, I think a lot of us in our life, maybe not here, but maybe throughout the world is sometimes we're plagued by negativity. It surrounds us. And sometimes that stuff can creep into you. And if, if you've lived a life for 48 years, you probably have these habits that you do. And I have found that the environment of the psychedelic experience allows me the courage to go outside and, and see the path that I could go down. And this brings in the time factor. Like I can be in a trip and be like, okay, I can feel really good about what I'm doing, but I can also 
visualize, and I mean literally visualize where I want to be. And I can see myself, I can see myself make 10 different decisions and see where those 10 decisions would go. They may not be 100% accurate, but they're really like tangible visions of where it could be. And I can talk to myself in that way, like, hey, great job, you should have done that. And then all of a sudden, I can see another vision of, oh, well, you know what, how about this? Or, or I'm feeling caught, I'm feeling skeptical about these decisions that I made. And then I can, I can literally think myself down the trail of what would happen if I made those decisions. You know, and it seems to me like they're, they're pretty damn clear and they've given me the, the fortitude and the foresight to continue to do what I'm doing. And I, I, I mean, I know it's not just the mushroom or the psychedelic experience that have allowed me to do it. However, I think it's a big part of it. And that to me is something that, you know, I don't want to abuse taking mushrooms or abuse the psychedelic experience. But for me, it's a very rich environment where I can continue to develop my creativity. And for me, like that is the reason why I want to go deeper. That is the, that's the way I want to check out that path further. And I want to continue on that experience. And I, I think it's very different than, than someone who is just doing it and not integrating. You know, I, I, I think that there's, that's two different routes there, but I wanted so, to explain like why I wanted to do it. So I'm really curious, Ben, whatever it is that you're building. And again, I'm still really curious about the conversation that we started about an hour ago, but because we just barely tipped, but I'm really curious how much of your life's direction right now and the things that you're building and your vision has come through your practice. Um, well, I can honestly say that it kicked off the journey. Hmm. Uh, I didn't, my first experience was at 24 years old, right before I turned 25. And uh, it really kind of put me in it. It was one of those things where I thought I was smart. And then I realized just how unintelligent and unwise and unknowledgeable I was mm. because I didn't even use the word smart anymore because I realized just how delinquent I was in my ability to comprehend the world around me. And that kicked off just a journey that eventually I ended up five, six years in Central and South America, um, which was a very strong part of my antigen journey. I'm trudging through the jungles, digging up everything, picking mushrooms off the side of volcanic volcanoes, mm -hmm. you know, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, but, you know, the ideas were definitely related. I wouldn't have been able, you can't, you can't see if you don't understand something. It's like the, the old, the old stories about the native Americans, the indigenous people who were looking at ships and they thought they were clouds. Mm -hmm. They had no concept of what a ship was. If you can't, you know, if you can't see the picture for what it is, then it's just a blur of, you know, it smudges of color or whatever. But, it, you know, those magic eye pictures where you stare at them for 15 minutes and then eventually you pull back, you're like, oh, it's a seahorse. Well, mm -hmm. uh, and so it's, I would say that, you know, it's definitely been integral into my path. Uh, just that in, in yeah, I'll, I'll be the first to admit most of it was just kind of dickered around to mm -hmm. begin with. Yeah. Um, I didn't really get serious about anything until, you know, probably six, seven years ago. Uh, and then that's when I started writing a, uh, my theory of information. That's when I, and then a few years after that, I did my book. And mm -hmm. now I've been barreling down that path pretty, you know, it's pretty consuming at this point. Yeah. Well, it's just interesting as you think about these stories, um, 
that you hear now reflecting back what was happening in the late 60s and 70s and the boom of technology and the use of LSD and psychedelics and all of them were using it in some way, shape or form as they're building this network that is the internet, that is the, our, like the reason we're talking is because of psychedelics. Like we just got to start to realize that. And now we're entering into this third wave. And so in the same way that we saw it in the, like, again, when you reflect on the history, there was a therapy movement that was taking place, right? And there was the medicinal and there was, you know, freaking healing alcoholism and all the stuff that was taking place. But at the same time, there was this technological advancement that was building up the next kind of uh, movement. And I think that's happening now as well. I think you're seeing arms of the new movements of technology with this third wave, just different. And there's going to be some stuff that's going to shift as the world shifts. And the, like it's prepping us for this big shift that's getting ready to happen. And there are people, it sounds like you've been, that are thinking very forward and on a different plane, understanding this because of, of this movement that has been taking place over the last 10 years. Movement of the people, brother. It is. It is. Because it's the medicine of the people. It belongs with them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Do you think individual. like, so So as we look at, you know, the cycle of history and we, we talk about how it doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Do you think there's a real possibility of a clampdown like there was in the 60s? Uh, well, if one of us goes off and gets the fancy idea to start a cult and gets a couple hundred thousand followers, yeah, there might be a little bit of a clampdown. So y'all keep it keep it tight. Cool. <laughs> no more Larry. <laughs> I think it it will be just uh, the access part, and uh, with respect to George, you are doing an amazing job, by the way, trying to experiment with these things because we we tend to assume the abuse factor, but it depends on, um, it's an entirely new thing. So we could take it with a grain of salt or in the sense, more of open-minded stance towards this and trying to be curious with it, right? I think healthy dose of people need to go crazy with this because this will serve as a guideline towards what the future might look with respect to people trying to get into this. But a clampdown for sure will happen with the cult. But uh, <laughs> just people trying to get access to this, it might be a little slower. Yes, well, there will be a lot of judgmental with respect to personal use. I don't know how it is taken because I, uh, for me, I think I've been using it personally and I found it very beneficial that it is it, it provides me in a therapy setting where I can face myself in a very different way. And... So um, I think uh, that part, what were you going to say, Jason? I was just going to say, I think it'll be interesting to see because we've gone a little bit far and I I think they're going to give us access to it, but we got to remember that the government will never give up power. Like it it is not in its nature to really give up power ever once it holds it. Mm -hmm. And so this current structure, if it continues on and the power structure, whatever that looks like, it might give us the ability to, to, to have it, but it will maintain its power in some way. I mean, on some of us, all I got to do is look like the civil rights movement, like, oh, yes, you have equality, but no, you don't, right? Like, yes, we're going to give you power, but we're not going to give you power. So they're going to give it to us in some way. Like, I do think on some, you're going to see something happen, but there's going to be a clampdown and in another area that we weren't even imagining yeah. to ensure that it maintains its its control on the the, the thing. So... Will there be a clampdown on the psychedelic specifically? 
I don't know. I think we're pretty far advanced, but I think we'll see clampdowns in some other pretty significant ways. Yeah. Oh. I wonder if like, you know, if we look at the past, not only, not only the, not only the sixties as psychedelics, but if we look at something more recent, like cannabis, like the rules that were placed on there, like there were some odd ones, like in some States, like you can't get a gun if you get a cannabis card. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's just a way, I think that's a way to mm -hmm. stop people from getting guns, but also penalize the pot industry. Mm -hmm. And then there was right. this at first, like they didn't let, like, if you had a, if you had a pot, if you, if you were a distributor, you couldn't get really get a bank account. So you had to like hire a armored car or something like that. So I think that there's some lessons that may have happened recently with marijuana that could be, I wonder how that's going to affect it. If I, if I was a lawyer, I'd be looking at those laws to see how psychedelics is going to play out. Right. Well, you'd be looking at who you can sue. If you're <laughs> alert. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the genie's out of the bottle in some essence, and I don't think it goes back in, mm -hmm. um, you know, in because you have to figure before when all of that originally started, the, the, you know, just the cultivation of this stuff didn't exist. Nobody knew what Uncle Ben's rice tech was, right? And, you know, until pretty recently. Um, but now that whole thing has expanded to the point where people are using autoclaves and they have these massive, you know, setups where the access and availability and just the ease of, you know, it, it was kind of similar to what happened to cannabis. Eventually the knowledge got out of how to grow this and it was so profitable and so accessible that the state decided that they wanted a piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. And then when they came in, they made it so the laws, rules and regulations really favored the people who were going to pay to play the game the people who could afford the millions of dollars for all of the you know testing and packaging nuances and all this other stuff that really kind of made it so all and you know they sold it as oh you're, you guys are going to have a business and all those people are out of business in most of the jurisdictions that have legalized cannabis i think you'll see a similar process with uh psychedelics Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're already kind of seeing similar things with Kratom, uh, ketamines being shipped to people's doors, things like this. So mm -hmm. as long as those people are paying their, you know, hundreds, if not millions of dollars in licensing fees and regular to regulatory bodies and all of this, they're allowed to play that game. But now that the genie is so far out of the bottle and everybody knows how to do these things, there's still those markets that will persist and grow. Yeah. What, what mm. about, it's what expensive. do you, go ahead, Paul, what'd you say? Uh, like, you know, what it takes to grow a lot of that stuff is pretty expensive. I lost yeah. you. Guys. <laughs> uh, we lost you right there, man. What you got to say it again. What happened? No, I, I just kind of jumping in late. My phone died. So oh, was, okay. Um, well, I mean, you guys are talking about like, you know, like the, the grow process of, of mushrooms. Mm -hmm. You guys, is that what you guys were discussing? Sorry, man. I well, part of it. Yeah. I mean, it, it can be, it can be difficult, but you could also just go get a whole bunch of dirt, put it in a pressure cooker, pasteurize it and sterilize it. And as long as you have some spores, you can grow mushrooms if you could create the right humidity environment for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it's, it's. I think it can be tricky. Like, I mean, sure. but it's, 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 if you're, if you are someone who is, 
halfway decent at cultivating stuff and you try it five or six times, you're going to figure it out. It's, it's tricky. And the mushroom, depending on what strain you're working with. Can be, yeah. yeah. But guess what? But you're going to figure it out. But to, that to, to Ben's point, there's also how many YouTube videos with millions <laughs> of huge. views disseminating this information yeah. that didn't exist 15 years ago, right? Uncle I mean, that's, Tech. I mean, that's, that's beautiful. Genie, right. That's the genie getting out of the bottle. Like yeah, it, it is more and more accessible now to be growing mushrooms and talking about it from whether they're Rishi or Lion's Mane, right? Like there's mm -hmm. also this movement of just health in, in mushrooms. So people are going to want to start growing them at home. And then, you you know, at least psilocybin fits right into to that process. So, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, I think that's part of that. You give it to the people, you make it accessible you can't clamp back down on that situation. But again, are they going to, are those that do it going to be demonized in some way, or is there going to be something, you know, that kind of, you know, there's a shift on, on public perception, right. On those that do, and is there going to be another smear campaign on, you know, people that do and no, 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 you should be taking this other pill that will make you feel so much better. You don't need the psilocybin. Right. So yeah. Right. Yeah, it's I, one of the one of the chemical constituents that's close to it that they patented. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah, and, and then and then you would see like, oh, these ones grow in the wild actually have a virus on them. You probably shouldn't mm. take those ones. Yeah, don't go <laughs> to the wild ones. <laughs> well, they'll also they be you know, shit. They'll also, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they'll also be uh, still to this day. A lot of places that legalize cannabis, uh, you they can still drug test you and cancel your employment. Yeah, if totally. You pop hat. So, you know, there'll still be little regulations like that. You won't be working at Lockheed Martin because they do have tests for psilocybin these days. They're a little bit more expensive, but they, they exist, right? Mm. Uh, now it moves out of your system pretty fast. But hmm. What do you think about as far as like a consciousness shift? Like it seems to me like when I take mushrooms, I am, um, I am, um, I find myself more in a spot that's anti-capitalism a little bit. And I don't know if that's the right <laughs> word, but I feel like more involved with the hold love on, around me. Hold on. We, we cannot spread the narrative that okay. every time okay. people take mushrooms, they become <laughs> anti-capitalist. This is a bad idea. Okay. You're building the government's argument there, George. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Put on my government hat here. That, hence the clapdown, right? But yeah, guys are going to become looking for you again. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. So, but in some level, I think it shifts consciousness to what really matters. And it seems to me that I care, I tend to think more about things that directly affect me, like my family and things I really care about and I'm passionate about, you know, after a trip or during a trip. And even that afterglow, that feeling of oneness, it seems to break you apart from the cold, hard it, ideology of money. It you know? unplugs and, you from the monetary matrix. Yeah, yeah. And so can we draw a parallel between the rise of psychedelics right now and this parallel of quiet quitting? Like, do you think that maybe that these things are running together? Like this, this shift that's happening is, is one in the same? Yeah, I think it's just a couple of variables of many. Okay. You know, I think, you know, and one, another huge one is the lack of trust in, in information sources. Um, you know, and then you have uh, the, the polarizing right and left politics of most mm -hmm. countries, conservative liberal politics of most countries. 
you know, I think there's a lot of factors that weigh into this, but I think if you were to graph it out, you'd probably see some correlation. Mm. I think it's really interesting to think too, about how this idea that, you know, there, there is going to be, you know, the big question is like, is this shift that we're getting ready to go through going to be an entire breakdown of the system? Like, are we really on the edge of seeing a much bigger breakthrough or do we think that it's going to kind of continue to maintain the current, current reality? But to me, that's like, you know, if it's not this round, is it going to be the, at some point, this thing is going to come crashing down and we're going to have an evolution of the human race, right? I, well, you guys- I, I think we're definitely seeing the, the, the disintegration of nation states. Um, and I think, but with that, I don't think we're going to see a total collapse of the system. Uh, a, a lot because the people who have all the money invested in the system are very vested in keeping the system running. Mm-hmm. So, is that that's a massive big motivating factor in the in the calculation of the momentum of the machine mm. uh now i think what we're already seeing and what we'll continue to see grow is a move towards decentralization uh we're we've already you know seen the efforts to decentralize currencies we're seeing the efforts to decentralize um you know uh, voting. Uh, we're seeing the efforts to decentralize business structures. It's kind of in, in tune with what uh, my Terra Libre project is. That's part of it as well. And I think we're going to continue to see the move towards decentralization because that's where people take back their liberty. That's where they that's where they regain their freedom of choice. Hmm. Interesting. You're you're uh, muted, George. <laughs> all right so i have i have some options for you guys like i am having an incredible time right now i, I feel like we're just kind of getting started here but my wife gave me the tap on the shoulder so i gotta leave but that doesn't mean you guys have to leave you guys want to continue i can leave this running and you guys can talk so what do you guys think i'm gonna actually go i okay uh, it's around 8 30 years so i'm gonna get ready for I know tomorrow. Oh, okay. week. Yeah. 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 Nice. Well, I, I, then I think it's uncouth to steal another man's show. Uh, agreed. <laughs> agreed. I think we can all sign off. Okay. I, I, I really enjoy it, you guys. And I feel like it's, I feel like we're growing together and it's just so interesting to me to get to have all these people I respect together and get to hear different points of view and throw out questions. So thank you to every one of you. I really appreciate it. Before we go, let's just go around the horn and tell people, what we're doing and where they can find us. So I'm Ranga. Where, what do you got coming up, man? Word on the street is you have a podcast coming out one day. Uh Oh, (laughs) (laughs) they're asking about the podcast. (laughs) Okay. We start this week. I heard it. I heard it from the source. Yes. (laughs) So that's there. And as I said, exploring, other states very curious of what is to come in the weekends and then yeah (laughs) eventually facilitating but it's uh it's quite some time away i feel like next year awesome i love talking to you buddy and i i i am looking forward to the things that you have come and i there's no doubt in my mind you can help a lot of people man thank you for being here thank you yeah Benjamin, what's it, where can people find you? What do you got coming up? And uh, what are you excited about? Uh, BenjaminCGeorge.com. Uh, Terry Libre Project stuff. Should uh, new infographics should drop next week. We'll see. Uh, but the podcast is 
getting there. Uh, going to start filming not next week, but the following week for uh, interview stuff. So, gentlemen, you are all invited. Yeah. Um, that's what yeah, I'm excited about. <laughs> you, you know what? Like, before I get to Paul and Jason, I wanted to say, like, I, I'm so excited that, like, the way that the, the WhatsApp chat is turning out. Like, in my mind, there's this idea I have where, like, we have our own network. Like, you know, we could, if we know Kevin's got a book, so we could have Kevin come on and hit everybody's podcast. Or, you know, I think that there's a real opportunity for us to build not only our, like, in some ways, Ben, I think we're kind of building the Terra Libre project right here. You know what I mean? Like everybody here has like a different skill and everybody is successful in what they're doing, but they also add value to everybody else. And I, I don't have anywhere else in my life besides my family that where that is. And so I just wanted to get that out there. I'm super stoked for that. So thank you to all you. Paul, what about you? What you got going on, my friend? And I, I if you want to get a hold of Paul, you should probably get a hold of me. But uh, where can people find you at, Paul? Steal my uh, joke. Find me on the True Life podcast on Sundays at 2 p.m. Hawaiian. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, other than that, you really can't find me. <laughs> so jealous, man. Jason, what about you, my friend? Seriously. Where What do you got going like on? Where can people find you and what are you excited about? Yeah, got um, probably the biggest thing going on is my podcast that I've been doing with my partner. And Renga, you don't have an excuse. The other night, we literally were chilling in the bathtub. It was supposed to, Wednesday nights, <laughs> our podcast night. But we were both had a long day and we're just chilling in the tub. And then we start talking we're like, oh, this is really good. Let's just record. So we turned on the record like just from our iPhone. Like the next episode will just be us talking in the bathtub. Like it's that easy <laughs> to get your shit in this world. And it honestly doesn't matter who's listening because it's your practice, right? You're getting the word out. So that's our podcast. It's called Telling Secrets. You can find it on Spotify. And then, um, yeah, I'm pretty excited about doing... Like you guys are saying that idea that the you get these downloads and it gives you a blueprint for what you feel like the next steps are in your life. And that's that's where I'm at right now. I've got a blueprint and I'm beginning to build the thing that's going to become where I want to be. So I'm very much like in the building stages from the blueprint, but I've got it. I have a lot of clarity and it's exciting. Yeah, it should be, man. You're going to be great at it. I can, I mean, I... I got a good feeling and I'm sure that you have a good feeling going through it. And uh, it's, it's awesome. And I, I really appreciate it. So that's what we got for today, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Thank you so much for joining the true life podcast. Um, I'll put everybody's links in the show notes down there. And if you have any questions for any one of us, please feel free to check us out and see us next Sunday for uh, the same thing. Okay. That's what we got. Aloha. All right. And I'll end it there. Nope. <laughs> and there we are. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances... I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I 
think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true, but you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.